Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to another edition of the Sambasel Podcast on the Ambiguous Network. Right now, I'm going to be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. I'm going to be talking about some information regarding Killers of the Flower Moon. Ryan Gosling might be the Wolfman. Mulan might be going to streaming potentially. There's a question mark there and a whole lot more. But the first thing that I do want to talk about is something that isn't in the world of movies, isn't in the world of TV, but something that has struck the really the core of the country and that is the protest going on in the wake of the murder of George Floyd on Memorial Day by cops in Minneapolis which was more than a week ago on again on Memorial Day and again I am a show that talks about movies and talks about television because I love those two things specifically I love kind of being able to be transported to other worlds. I love being able to kind of take my mind off of things going on in in my life and, and really around the world because there's a lot of stuff going on. But some things are just bigger than movies and television and lets you see that there is real life and that there are things in real life that have to be addressed. And I'm not going to be going on some kind of a political tangent. I'm not going to be going on a big tangent at all. But I think it would be kind of irresponsible not to speak up about this. And I've seen other shows do the same exact thing and taking a few days and letting the focus be on this issue that needs to be up in hand, which is about black lives and and hearing black voices come out and what feels like to be suppression and that they haven't heard their voices. And that has been what's leading to really this big uproar that has kind of been building for a a while and you're seeing it in in full effect now not just in Minneapolis but really around the country and around the world really where you're seeing places such as Toronto there was a protest today in London in Germany this is something that has really kind of struck the chord globally and it's not just here in the United States and I think the big thing to take away from this is the fact that voices do need to be heard and people in the minority community do need to be heard and they need to be listened to. And the one thing I think that Hollywood is is starting to change a little bit is the fact that we're hearing more diverse voices in film, in television, and there's more avenues towards that. And is everything all peaches and cream right now? No, absolutely not. There needs to be more work and I do believe in this country that there needs to be reform within the government and that there needs to be some changes. And whether that is within the police departments, whether that is, again, within government, there needs to be changes. Again, voices need to be heard and people can disagree left and right. I think the thing that is going to help bring this country forth more is coming together and, and really kind of, of of talking to one another, whatever different sides may be. But Definitely minority voices need to be heard a lot more. And if you see on my Facebook page, uh, in or in in light of Black Lives Matter and of the Blackout Tuesday that happened yesterday, I decided to donate money to the Equal Justice Initiative, which you can do on my Facebook page at San Basel. You can donate right there, and it goes right to the Equal Justice Initiative, which if you've heard of that, that is actually the initiative that it was founded or, or is a part with Brian Stevenson, who, if you know from Just Mercy, he was played, the, the the man Brian Stevenson was played by Michael B. Jordan in the film that came out in January this year worldwide. So to kind of keep it still within movies and kind of just linking it back 
altogether, the Equal Justice Initiative is the place that I chose to donate. And again, I am for having voices heard left and right, but you also need to hear the minority versus voices being heard right now. And that's what's happening around the globe, really, is you're hearing those voices starting to come up again. And we need to listen to, to everybody and to hear everybody's points of views. And it doesn't matter as long as you as we can come together in a country that's that is divided right now. And I, and I think that's the big thing to take away from all this is that, yes, black lives matter and we need to hear those voices and we need to hear people, whether you are black, whether you're Latino, whether you're Asian American, whether you're Caucasian as well. All voices deserve to be heard as well, but specifically within the minority community, they deserve to be heard. And so I thought I wanted to start the show off talking about this because Again, this is a moving television show, and I'm going to be talking about the things that we can, I can distract you guys from from a little bit, and we'll be talking about Killers of the Flower Moon. But I wanted to start with this just to hit it right off the bat and to really kind of acknowledge this because this does need to be acknowledged, and you can't just sugarcoat it. This is something that is being addressed that needs to be addressed more in the future, and I hope this is something that you guys can talk about. And again, when I talk about leaving comments and talking, that's a great way to start a conversation is talking in the comments and hearing yourselves out. And you can have different points of view, but as long as you hear somebody out without rushing to judgment on something, then I think that is something that can bring the country together. And talking is the best way to do that. And you're seeing it all around the world with the protests where people are wanting to hear their voices heard around the world. And so I think that is something that is being addressed now. And so I think it's something that needed to be talked about at first, and again, you can put your comments down below and talk about it and start a conversation going, and that's how it all starts is having a conversation, hearing people out, hearing their voices, and the issues that they want to address, and so that is how I want to start out today's show, and again, leave your comments down in the section and talk about it. Again, conversation starter, that is how it really all begins and the best way forward, and so for the rest of the show, I'm going to be talking about some movie news that's going on around the world of Hollywood. And again, I want to be able to have the show to be a distraction for people to, again, with everything going on, just to spend a few minutes away and, and to hear some other news that's going on around the world. And, and that's what I hope to, to bring, and that's what I've always hoped to bring. So I hope I can bring that to you guys forward, going forward. And again, starting conversation down below, that is the way to, to get things going, especially when they're as dire and as awful as they were as they have been this last week it's all about a conversation starter and hearing your voices and and that's what i hope it, it is going forward so going moving on now moving forward into into some some news that hopefully again can distract you guys for the next few minutes and some movie news has been going on over these last few days and monday and tuesday were kind of late on news just because of i think a lot of entertainment companies a lot of studios a lot of a lot of celebrities were wanting to turn the attention to George Floyd and the protests going on around the world. But over during the weekend and, and, and into last week, some things that I weren't, weren't able to talk about is what I'll talk about today. And one of those things were the announcement of a the, the second unit director of Star Wars, Victoria Mahoney, who was, again, the second unit director of The Rise of Skywalker with J.J. Abrams, is set to direct a big blockbuster film in Hollywood and kind of going in line of talking about Hollywood starting up change. This is one of the latest points of things that are talking about. Victoria Mahoney is of African-American descent. She is somebody who did a, a very good job with The Rise of Skywalker. And even though I might not have liked the film, 
that came out with the rise of skywalker i do think that the direction of it you can't argue about it jj abrams and his directing crew especially victoria mahoney did a very good job in the style of what they approached that film with and she is set to direct the adaptation of a graphic novel from kyle starks kill them all and kill them all is described as a love letter of 1990s action films and kill them all tells a of a story of a betrayed murderess on a revenge campaign and a hard-drinking former cop who team up to take down a crime lord. Their nemesis rules from atop a 15-story Miami high-rise, so the duo must go floor by floor, cutting through assassins, murderers, lucador gang bosses, ex-boyfriends, and office workers. And this is a interesting concept in the way that it sounds like it's a mixture of 90s action films mixed in with The Raid and Dread, and I, and I like that concept, and I think what Victoria Mahoney really brings, and this is something that I saw in the Rise of Skywalker behind-the-scenes documentary that came out with the DVD, was that she is somebody who is very heavily involved with, with the action. You could see her being involved in working with Daisy Ridley and John Boyega and the other actors and bringing a lot of energy, and it seems what she brought to Rise of Skywalker is what Paramount saw that they want her to bring to kill them all, and if she's able to kind of pull off a, a conglomerate of all two of those genres or two of those action genre films specifically, if it's a mixture of Rush Hour or Lethal Weapon meets the raid, I think that would be really cool. And to kind of see her kind of hone in on her action sense, I think it's going to be really cool to see Victoria Mahoney get a chance to further evolve her acting or not even her acting but her action techniques as a director i think it's gonna be really exciting there's no release date set yet for this film but kill them all has a director in victoria mahoney who directed the second unit of the rise of skywalker what did you guys think about this news let me know what you think down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts now moving on to some news that i wanted to talk about in regards to the the coronavirus and specifically what is going on in hollywood and there has been a lot of progress being made moving forward in terms of Hollywood getting back to production and turning the lights on to making TV and films again. But there could be a little bit of trepidation when it comes to the people working behind the scenes and in front of the camera as well. And Spike Lee is one of those people who talked about working on a on a set again and not working until a, a vaccine is in place. And, and he talked about this in Vanity Fair, and this is a little excerpt from the article. He says, they ain't doing they ain't doing a, a thing until the vaccine, Lee said. I'm, I'm, I know I'm not going to a movie theater. I know I'm not going to a Broadway show. I know I'm not going to Yankee Stadium. Corona is a bitch. Corona is not playing. You F around. You're not going to get killed. You're going to die. I'm not ready to go. How are you going to do a love scene anymore or an intimate scene? I mean, are you going to do a movie by remote like Saturday Night Live? I don't know how you do that, so we're on pause now. And he was supposed to be to begin production on the adaptation of the graphic novel Prince of Cats this summer. And this seems to be not just the mindset of Spike Lee, but the mindset of a lot of people in Hollywood. He talked to in the article, Jennifer Lopez talks about how doing remote shoots seems to be working right now. And Charlize Theron talks about the aspects of a set that you're not going to have when these new guidelines from the coronavirus when it comes to Hollywood productions are going to be put into into effect. And Spike Lee has a, has a great point when he talks about this in which 
not not having not being able to do intimate scenes, which is one of the biggest questions when it is coming to the actors of let's see if you have to do a love scene or let's say you have to be intimate. How are you going to go about that? Do you and it seems like from the guidelines that you would have to there's going to be specific parameters when it comes to the actors and checking them and testing them nonstop. So when it does come time to that, then they would be willing and able to work through some kind of scene like that, some romantic scene. But I think for Spike Lee, as somebody who is a very kind of methodical filmmaker who likes to get every single detail right to what he envisions the film to be, if he can if he doesn't have those those freedoms to do it and he's restricted in that kind of sense, then it doesn't make sense to work within these guidelines. Now, for studios and producers and productions, they're gonna have to get into some kind of of system in order to go back into production, but I can understand where Spike Lee's coming from in the sense that I'm going to have restrictions that I'm not going to want. And also he's looking out for himself and for his family. And that's the same thing for a lot of people when you talk to actors and actresses and directors. When they're making millions of dollars, why risk your life for the coronavirus just to include, just to start productions back up if it's not really safer, if it's not really going to appeal to the way that you need to perform as an actor or as a director. So I can definitely see it from the, the studio side of you're, you want to get productions back up again because you need to a make that money and make the money back for when you are making a film when it comes to how much you're putting towards it in regards to the budget. But when you talk about directors, actors, set people in general, when you have people that are working in catering, when you have people that are working mics and cinematographers, and visual effects people, more so when it comes to working on something more CG heavy during production, how is that How is that going to work and, and how are people going to really feel about that? So I think there's, again, two sides of this coin that you can look at, but when you hear Spike Lee's comments, you can definitely understand and see where he is coming from and speaking not really just for himself, but for a lot of people in Hollywood that have that same kind of mindset. So what do you guys think about these quotes made by Spike Lee talking about coming back to production and not coming back until a vaccine is done? Let me know what you think down below in the comments section and leave your thoughts below. Moving on now to some more information about the new Martin Scorsese film, Killers of the Flower Moon. And last week, it was reported that the Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert De Niro starring film, which will be directed by Martin Scorsese, was officially picked up to be financially distributed or financially catered to and creatively wise by Apple and Apple TV Plus and how this was a film that was supposed to count towards an absorbent amount of money that is going to set to have over $200 million budget and that Paramount, who wanted to produce the film, couldn't do it for the type of money that Martin Scorsese was demanding for this film, like he was demanding for The Irishman, which was potentially upwards of over $200 million for that film as well, even though some reports have indicated that it could have been $180 million. More accurate reporting has it at over $200 million for the Oscar-nominated film that came out last year. And after that, those reports came out of Apple buying Killers of the Flower Moon and putting money behind it, there is more information that's coming out now from the Hollywood Reporter of the financing and how this really came to be. So I'm going to read this excerpt, excerpt excuse me, from the Hollywood Reporter, and it says, After Imperative Entertainment, which is one of the studios aligned with producing this film, brought the rights to Grand's book in 2016, DiCaprio and Scorsese joined the project, and it was shot to Paramount. 
but the studio wanted the budget, then about 180 with a tax credit from New Mexico, pared down to about $150 million. No one actually believed that Scorsese actually would have stuck to that number, but at least it would have let studio execs fantasize that costs might be kept in check. Sources says things changed when the director and his star decided to revise the script. Originally, DiCaprio was playing the good guy, working for the then-nascent FBI. In the revised version, DiCaprio would portray villain Robert De Niro's nephew, torn between love and the evil machinations of his uncle. A source with knowledge of the situation says Paramount felt that the felt that turned the film into a moody and less commercial character study. Smaller scale, small, same budget. While a huge wager on the film no longer seemed like a, such a good idea, relinquishing a Scorsese film was so painful for the top Paramount executive team that no studio insider told me that, excuse me, one insider studio told me that the drama unfolded were not making it, but were not making it. And I thought that was really interesting just from that little excerpt talking about how Paramount, who passed up on The Irishman and have worked with Scorsese for many of his films, decided that, you know what, we, we can't pass up on this, but at the same time, we are sort of passing up on this because they're taking a distribution fee. They're not actually producing the film. They're just putting it out so this film can actually have a theatrical release, unlike what The Irishman had. And it, I think this is really interesting that Paramount, I think, sees this for what it is and that it could make some money, but at the same time, it might not make six, seven hundred million dollars, which is what would – when it comes to this kind of money is what Paramount would want to see an intake of from a $200 million-plus production budget or $180 million-plus production budget. But when you have the likes of DiCaprio and De Niro on there, specifically Leonardo DiCaprio, who is one of America's – kind of hunks that, that everybody kind of clamors to watching into into the theaters. And one of the main reasons for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood's success last year was for the pairing of Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio together. And that made some money. That made over $300 million at the box office. It didn't make insane dollars. But for a Quentin Tarantino movie that cost $90 million, it made good enough money that it, it, it warranted a successful in, in the black line and not in the red. And... I th it's just really interesting to hear what Paramount was looking to do with this film. And then there was another excerpt from this article that talked about the financial note of this film. And it goes on to say, The movie will get a full theatrical release around the world, presumably with a standard window. Though the definition of a standard window without with window could change by the time the film is finally released, Paramount will front marketing costs, but Apple will make sure it gets all the money back either from its share of box office or, if necessary, by making up any shortfall. Apple will also cover costs associated with developing the film. Meanwhile, Paramount will get a distribution fee based on the film's box office performance. Even if the film does exceptionally well, such fees are hardly enough to keep the lights on at a major studio. Wolf of Wall Street grossed $392 million worldwide, and Paramount netted about $20 million, says a source with knowledge of the situation. So again, it's about being a risky financial situation because, again, when it comes to $180, $200 million. Again, for Warner Brothers, they're investing $200 million into Tenet. And let's say before the coronavirus really took into effect, Warner Brothers probably paid Tenet to at least make $800 million at the box office, maybe $600, at least potentially a billion-dollar film because Nolan's films over the years have made 
800, 900, $500 million, which is what Dunkirk made in 2017. So you know that Nolan has a base that people are clamoring to go see his films in theaters. Unfortunately, even though Scorsese films are fantastic over the years, they don't really kind of clamor the money warranted for $200 million at the box office. Let's say Wolf of Wall Street grossed $392 million. That was a film that didn't cost $150 million. Paramount netted, again, $20 million from that film. If, if Irishman came out, they probably wouldn't have never made that kind of money. They would have lost 20 to $30 million off of that film because of the budget they associated towards it. And you again, you include marketing fees, distribution, that would have netted it to well over $200 million in terms of its budget. And Paramount is already fitting, like it said in the article, the, the distribution and the marketing cost because they, they're able to, to assort that money. Whereas Apple, they have plethora amounts of money that say if they lose a little bit of money on this thing, it doesn't matter because they're getting the the marketing that they need for this film that they can say, hey, if you guys want to see Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro's new film together, come see Close of the Flower Moon on Apple TV Plus when it comes to the streaming service. So it's a win for for Apple, but for Paramount, this might turn into less of a disastrous situation because they're not fitting the whole cost. But they're not really seeing a big return investment on this film when they're shelling out a few million dollars for the marketing campaign and for distributing it, distributing it in a bunch of theaters when it does come out. But these are some more of the details that came out from The Hollywood Reporter. What do you guys think about these details for Killers of the Flower Moon? Let me know what you think down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts below. Moving on now to an interesting story that came out on Friday. According to Variety, Ryan Gosling's Wolfman might be one of the next films to come from the, univer the Universal Monster lineup, which saw The Invisible Man come out this year with a budget of $70 million and gross $121 million worldwide. According to the Variety article, multiple directors are in the mix, and especially Corey Finley, who directed Bad Education a few this, this year that came out, and it was a fantastic film that came out on HBO. I highly recommend it. And so he is in the mix to direct the new Wolfman film. And according to the details, what's made these Universal films, especially The Invisible Man, such a great hit was that it was grounded in reality. It was based in present times, but it also dealt with issues that are extremely prevalent in today's day and age. And that has to do with domestic abuse, Me Too, and even the way that The Invisible Man is constructed is more of a modern day myth than it really was told in past times and it seems that's going to be the same strategy going forward with these universal monster films in which the film that is being described for this wolfman is that it's going to be set in the present day and it'll have a mixture of nightcrawler with a supernatural twist and it's not nightcrawler the x-men character but nightcrawler the film that was directed by tony gilroy and or excuse me dan gilroy and it was directed, or not directed, but it starred Jake Gyllenhaal, who deserved an Oscar nomination at the least when that film came out in the mid-2010s. But Gyllenhaal was fantastic, and that was about a, a about kind of the, the survival of the news industry, where basically it kind of showed the, the tooth and nails of being able to do camera work and, and showcase news within... The nighttime, really, and and I it was a, it was a very interesting film that kind of showed doing whatever it takes to pursue to to pursue your dream, whether it involved harming other people or kind of 
doing illegal activity to get what you wanted. And so Nightcrawler to me was one of my one of my favorite films when it came out that year. And this original pitch came from Ryan Gosling. So you already have the big name of Ryan Gosling on the window. And if you're able to craft and get a really good director, and if they get Corey Finley, that's a that's a huge win for them. Because again, Bad Education was one of my favorite projects and, and films really to come out this year, even though it was on HBO. And I think if they're able to get somebody that can understand the source material, work with Ryan Gosling, and create something that is just as good as something like The Invisible Man, I think Universal sees the projection that it can go on with these films that they have this base that they can kind of start going with that can really be a major success for them moving forward and they don't have to go back to the dark universe. They can go to these films that are more are artist-driven, are artistic, and they are more creatively driven by directors and writers like Ryan Gosling who wrote this pitch or if it is Corey Finley or somebody else that has a vision for this and they want to see it come through like Lee Iwanell did with The Invisible Man. So this gets me excited to see what they're going to do with this Wolfman film and how it really they're able to kind of ground it in realism but again have that supernatural twist because Invisible Man you could definitely – and I was shocked with the way that they were able to, to modernize the way that he's invisible – I wonder how they're going to do that with the Wolfman. Pro- Again, they said it's going to have a supernatural twist, so you're going to have to accept the notion that whether it's a full moon or some kind of way he's able to transform transform into a wolf. But if you're able to somehow still keep it grounded, I'm really interested to see how they do that. And, and Nightcrawler is very grounded in reality that – almost in grounded in reality other than maybe the ending a little bit. A majority of it is grounded in reality that you could see that kind of happening in real life. So – Again, Wolfman probably won't happen in real life, but if they make it grounded in some way, I'm interested to see what they do with this film. What do you guys think about this Wolfman pickup from Universal with Ryan Gosling? Let me know what you think down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts. And a few more things to get through on this edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast. I wanted to go to some Disney Disney news Excuse me, that is coming from Deadline, and it has to do with the, the streaming service and the future of what Disney can do and really the future of streaming and, and films and going to, to VOD and digital, which has been a big topic over the last few months, especially in the wake of the coronavirus amplifying that conversation when you have studios like Universal dropping Trolls World Tour, the King of Staten Island, which you're going to do next week on VOD. You have Artemis Fowl debuting on Disney Plus next week. Scoob debuted on VOD a few weeks ago in in the month of May from Warner Brothers. So it's 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 an interesting time period to, to be talking about streaming and the theatrical window. And according to a report by Wall Street analyst Michael Nathanson, that is exactly what he's suggesting when he talks about Mulan and moving it over to Disney+. Plus. And he talks about what Disney should do in their future and what they have to do in, in the wake of the damage that the coronavirus brought to the company. And so this is from – these are multiple excerpts that I have from the Deadline article, and I'm going to read a few of them to you in which Nathan, Nathanson talks about Mulan and talks about how – what it can do potentially if it doesn't if, – if it's not able to hit its July 24th release date since it was supposed to hit on March 27th. But again, because of the coronavirus, Disney decided to move it to July 24th, a week after Tenet is supposed to hit theaters on July 17th as of right now. So this is the report and excerpts from the report by Michael Nathanson, and, and he talks about 
Mulan, a big-budgeted live-action remake of Disney's animated film, is a looming issue for the company, which took in $13 billion in global box office in 2019. If the film collects even 50% of the $1 billion many recent Disney temples have, it will be a freaking home run, Nathanson says. Currently slated for a theatrical debut on July 24th, Mulan depends on the majority of theaters being reopened and moviegoers feeling reassured about buying tickets. Top Circuits, AMC, and Cinemark hope to reopen in about a month and are eyeing the planned release of Tenet on July 17th as the kickoff to their pandemic-altered summer season. San Francisco is the latest major market question mark, joining Chicago, New York, and LA, given government action and the state of the virus here, or there, excuse me. Many overseas territories are seeing significant openings, even in once hobbled countries like Italy and Spain. Exhibitors and Disney alike have held firm that they are moving forward with the July plan, but Nathanson isn't sure the studio will follow through. Beyond the viability of theaters, he said, the company would have to unfurlough a lot of their employees in distribution and marketing. I don't think it's a given that Mulan's going to be released as we think. Having already been postponed from a planned release in March and with other titles pushed out of 2020 and into 2021, Mulan could go out via premium video on demand. It would then accelerate its release to Disney Plus by Labor Day, Nathanson speculated. He, re he referenced Trolls World Tour, the universal release that skipped theaters this spring, but still yielded a decent return for the studio given its marketing spent, fast food tie-ins, and high profile as a family-friendly sequel. The economics of a bigger movie like Mulan are different, of course, but Nathanson's main point was that there is a recent major studio PVOD precedent. And I definitely agree, and that's the end of the, the excerpt from the, the Deadline article about this story. And it, it makes perfect sense what Nathanson is saying. And I think, again, when it comes to a lot of these big budgeted films, maybe if it doesn't make its release because of the backlog that's happening in the rest of 2020 and into 2021, you could definitely understand, well, maybe they might put it on premium VOD. But I can assure you that Disney will not do that. And it's been something I've been saying since the very beginning of, of all this in March, in that Mulan has the potential to be a billion-dollar film at the box office. And Disney has put in so much money that putting it on VOD, they will lose that money faster than they would. Even if they were to lose money in theaters, they would lose it faster on VOD than they would in the theaters. And it's a very good point to make that because of the coronavirus and because of, let's say if it does come out on July 24th, that the, the openings of theaters is going to be a hugely different than what it was in the beginning of March before we were all on lockdown. And that is the fact that Mulan is, might not have a bigger intake, but it could have longer legs in the, in, the, in the run that the opening weekend might not be that big. But if it's able to stay in theaters until, let's say, October, maybe November, then you would have the legs that it would need to recuperate that kind of money. And even if it made... 600 800 million dollars at the box office that's still a good enough intake that people might have thought you know what even before coronavirus that's m maybe majority of what it might have made if it even makes 500 to 600 million dollars it's still a win for disney in some kind of a way and if they have a good portion of the chinese theaters in play hong kong japan if they have the uk germany if they have all these european countries in effect as well they can make that money back in some kind of way so it's it, it, 
you could potentially see where, okay, maybe they skip VOD and then they can go to Disney Plus on Labor Day, but Disney wouldn't do that because of the money intake. And also, they've seen what AMC has done with Trolls World Tour. They've seen what NATO has done with Trolls World Tour and Universal. I don't think they want to get on the theater's bad side right now, and especially with what is happening with with Universal, but also what what the theaters are kind of going through right now. But the theaters could be, and they just did it with Hamilton when Hamilton was supposed to be in theaters next year. The theaters are kind of like, well, wait, you know what? It, we, we're fine with it. You know what, Disney? It's okay. And Disney might have that latitude where if Disney were to say, you know what, theaters, we're going to pull Mulan out. Disney might be that exception where every single film otherwise, though, is a hit for the theaters. Really, when you look at 2019 last year, other than one or two hits, every other hit last year that made money, billions of dollars at the box office, was pretty much a Disney hit. And so the theaters need Disney at the box office, and so and, and, and they'll need Universal as well, but they definitely need Disney in order to stay afloat in some kind of way because of the... The, the titles that they have available to them that are highly anticipated in the next few years. So for 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 the theaters to say, you know what, Disney, we don't want you. We don't put Mulan on there. There might be some repercussions for that, but they're not going to lock them out like they did with Universal. So there's definitely a tightrope to walk there. But if I really had a guess, and I'm going to keep my stance that I've had over the last few months is even if Disney wouldn't even consider going going on that side of the theaters, but just for financial reasons, it doesn't make sense to go on VOD and on Disney Plus afterwards. They can, after Disney, after Mulan hits theaters, then it could say, you know what, after it hits the the, the theatrical window ex- expiration, then it might be able to say, you know what, we're going to go on Disney Plus a little earlier than we thought we would. So you might see that happen, but I don't think it's going to pull out of theaters whatsoever. I think they're going to keep the July 24th release date if all stays in plan right now, and we'll see it come out as a part of the limited and shortened summer movie season. And a few more things that I want to talk about, guys, real quick. Two more things, and we're going to jump at the end of this to the superhero realm. And we're going to first jump in to the DC world and specifically talk about the new Matt Reeves film, The Batman, that has halted production. However, due to the UK setting on their guidelines for what they want to do, they have decided to start domestic international production domestic productions again in the UK. And it seems like they have now given the okay for international films to start back up again, which means film uh, like like The Batman would be able to start production back up again once the studios and the crew and the cast feel like they're able to get back up and running, which hopefully will be during the summertime towards the end of June into July. And one of the things that was talked about with The Batman was the character of the Riddler, which was casted by Paul Dano in uh, over the last few months, and it seems like he is giving some thoughts on what he thinks about the script now. Andy Serkis has come out to talk about it, Colin Farrell has, Matt Reeves has even talked about the script a little bit, and so Paul Dano is now throwing his two cents in what he thinks about the script, and he was talking to Collider about this, and he was saying, I was filming. I flew home to visit my baby and then didn't get back to fly to set because of the coronavirus, which is really a strange thing, but I I feel really good about it. I think Matt Reeves is the real deal. I was really surprised by his script, which I think is is potentially really powerful. Hopefully we'll get we'll get to get back to some to it sometime soon. Excuse me. I'm not sure. And that was a quote from Paul Dano, and he is set to play Edward Nashton, who before becoming Edward Nigma was called Edward Nashton, and he, 
he becomes the Riddler. And it was funny. I was watching War from the Planet of the Apes before recording this podcast, and I just got to catch the first uh, probably five to ten minutes of the film. And just by watching it, uh, that trilogy to me is so amazing because it's not it's not just action packed. It doesn't have some sweeping epic shots, but it's very methodical. It's it's very symbolic. There's a lot of symbolism within. The, the Planet of the Apes trilogy that was started by Rupert Wyatt, but Matt Reeves took it to a whole nother level with Dawn and then finished it off with War for the Planet of the Apes. And it seems like what he's doing with Batman falls exactly in that similar situation where it might be grand in scale, it'll have this new neo-noir feel, but it'll have this symbolism which could translate over to what Christopher Nolan did and Matt Reeves kind of takes it in a whole other direction in some kind of way. So... I'm excited about this, and the fact that he, again, assembled such a fantastic cast with him speaks to, I think, the volume of what kind of script he is formulating for this new iteration of the Dark Knight himself, the Cape Crusader. So I'm excited to see what this is all about, and just hearing a lot of these quotes coming from Paul Dano, Andy Serkis, talking about it, Andy Serkis talking about the relationship he's going to have with Robin Pattinson playing Alfred Bruce Wayne's butler and kind of the relationship they're going to have with each other I think is really interesting. So this just gets me more excited to hopefully they get back to producing production on the film soon in a safe manner so we can get this film when it comes out in October of next year. What did you guys think about these comments? Let me know what you thought down below in the comment section below and let me know your thoughts about it. Then the final thing I want to talk about on this edition of the Sam Bissell podcast today is the talks of J.K. Simmons in the Spider-Verse moving forward. And if you've seen Spider-Man Far From Home, which came out last year in July, it was it was a fun summer flick that ended with a two bangers of post-credit scenes. And the first one came in the form of J.K. Simmons coming back to reprise his role as J. Jonah Jameson. And after watching that post-credit scene, people were wondering, well, was that just kind of like an Easter egg, kind of tipping the cap that J. Jonah is in the universe and it's played by J.K. Simmons and that you're kind of tipping the cap to the original Sam Raimi trilogy, which was is very well known, and, and J. Jonah Jameson was kind of brought to a, an iconic status because of J.K. Simmons. And when you talk about perfect casting, you think about Robert Downey Jr., you think about Chris Evans as Captain America, you think of a few other actors and actresses as well, but one of those that is up there in the echelon of Robert Downey Jr. is Tony Stark. You think of J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson in the the Spider-Man trilogy of Sam Raimi, and whenever there's been talks of J. Jonah Jameson coming back, there's only been one actor to even be thought of, and that is J.K. Simmons coming back, and even though he was a part of that trilogy, People wanted him in, in the Andrew Garfield films, and people have wanted him in this MCU, this iteration with Spider-Man, with Tom Holland, and we didn't think we would get it, and then that post credit scene happens in Far From Home, and people are wondering, well, is this a real thing? Is it just kind of a little tip to the hat of J. Jonah Jameson? What is it? And sitting down with Entertainment Weekly and chatting with J.K. Simmons, it seems like this could be something that isn't just a one-off. This could be set for multiple films, and J.K. Simmons talks about it, saying... I don't know if I would use the word expect, he explains as he signed on to the sequels, but the studio isn't obligated to use him in subsequent films. Still, he seems to bear no ill will about this. It's great to have the opportunity, as these things evolve, to be one of the holdovers from the previous version. So that is a little excerpt from Entertainment Weekly, which reported on this, and 
it seems like he has a contract with Kevin Feige and Marvel Studios going forward. So say if they wanted to bring him back for Spider-Man 3 or if they wanted to bring him into another MCU film, it seems like they have that kind of... They, they have that length. They're able to do that. It seems like Sony was able to okay, be okay with this. And I, I to me, this is exciting. To, to have J.K. Simmons back as J. Jonah Jameson is a delight. And the way that they used him in the post credit scene is this kind of this 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 Alex Jones and, and it's been described as this Alex Jones type of character which is kind of spreading this misinformation about Spider-Man and turning it for what he believes Spider-Man to be and turning it into digital instead of a newspaper I think is very very interesting and, and it speaks to kind of the, the modern times that we live in now in which unfortunately new, newspapers aren't the big thing that social media is nowadays or, or digital news gathering is nowadays so i think to kind of make it more modern is really cool and for jk simmons to be bald and, and to have but still have the mustache in a way i think is really interesting and i'm wondering if they keep that or if they kind of update it more to look like the comics like he did in the sam raimi trilogy or they kind of change it up a little bit to make it his own version in the mcu but i just think the big thing to take away from this is the fact that J.K. Simmons has the option to come back for more sequels or for more MCU films if they want to bring him back. So this what, it doesn't just seem like this was a one-off thing that was kind of an Easter egg that, oh, you know, we're acknowledging that J.K. Simmons is J. J. Jonah Jameson, but that's all it was. He was the, the tip of the iceberg for what we want for the, the third movie to be, but it seems like that's not the case. He could have a big role in Spider-Man 3, another MCU film, that the possibilities are endless. What do you guys think about this news that J.K. Simmons has the option for putting him in future films in the MCU? Let me know what you think down below in the comment section below and leave your thoughts below. But guys, that's going to do it for this edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast. Again, thank you so much for tuning into this edition of the podcast for this episode. Again, talked about a lot of entertainment, talked a lot about the movie world, some TV stuff. But the big thing that, again, I wanted to touch on that I talked about at the top of this episode is about the everything going on around the world right now i again i wanted to take the rest of the episode to kind of again have everyone transport and escape a little bit towards looking at something else for a little bit and then going back into the real world and and dealing with this and i think this is something that again you can escape for a little bit but dealing with this is at the top of of every show and everybody's priority at the moment right now and i'm not going to really kind of go into my whole thing with Apple. I've said it so many times before. You can find me on, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts. You can find me anywhere. You can go on the website. I'm on Ambiguous Network, but there's a lot of bigger things going on than just kind of plugging in your additional show. And I'm not the only one that's talked about this. The Ambiguous Network, you mad bro, that show has done an, an incredible episode about Black Lives Matter and the, the death, the, the tragic death of George Floyd by the hands of, of Minneapolis cops. So again, the focus is more on the issues at hand with some distractions going on around the world of Hollywood. I hope I was able to give that to you guys today. And again, if you want to donate to the Equal Equal Justice Initiative, which was a founder from the character from Just Mercy, Brian Stevenson, who is an actual civil rights lawyer in real life. Michael B. Jordan played the character that was that is actually based on a, on a real person. Go and donate to that. It's on my Facebook page. You can donate right to it, and it goes right to the Equal Justice Initiative. But guys, again, all voices, all voices are to be heard. All every everyone's, everyone's voices should be heard, and, and that includes 
the big prominence in this and, and that black voices need to be heard and that black voices need to be shouted through the rooftops. And, and that is what is being really, I think, founded throughout this whole week, really, is that it needs to be everyone's voices. And that includes black lives being mattering more than they really seems like they have been and that they need to become a part of the majority, not the minority, and that their voices need to be heard. And that is starting with these protests that we're seeing around the world. So again, Ambiguous Network has done such a great job throughout these this last weekend and bringing different episodes and bringing different topics up. And I hope I was able to do my part in talking about it a little bit today and while still also delivering entertainment news for you guys and to escape for a little bit, even in just this little bit of time, but again, bringing this issue to the forefront. So you can check the Ambiguous Network for the and especially you mad bro for these topics that are being discussed with as well with black lives matter and and with the tragic death of george floyd but guys that's going to do it for this edition of the sam basel podcast and again thank you so much for tuning in again you can check out the equal justice initiative that i have on my facebook page it's at sam basel you can find you can find it there you can donate there and guys thank you again so much again for tuning in again all voices, black lives, voices need to be heard. They need to be seen, and they will be, and, and I think that'll happen. I think it all starts with conversations and starts with talks, and I think we're going to see that happening moving forward. So thank you guys again so much for tuning in. Go to the Eagle Justice Initiative. Donate there. Check out the other things that Ambiguous Network is posting about, and I will chat with you guys again soon.